Hi, this is Pastor Marquez Ball of the Uplift Church in Laurel, Maryland. Listen, it is my prayer that this word is a blessing in your life. I pray that it's uplifting to your mind, uplifting to your heart, and uplifting to your spirit. Check us out online at upliftmd.com. God bless. That these your people would see and hear less of me and more of thee. Take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them to be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our God, our strength, and our Redeemer. Father, I have studied, but I need your strength. I have prepared, but I need your power. I'm willing and I want to, but I need you to make me able. Silently now, I'll wait for thee. Ready, my Lord, thy will to see. Open mine eyes and lift me, Spirit divine. Lord, prepare us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Our kind of people. Um, I've shared with this with us multiple times. My son, Michael, loves to hear me say this. I grew up a country boy. Y'all know this uh, by now. I grew up a country boy. I wasn't anybody's kind of people. For those who do not know this phrase, our kind of people, let me help you to understand how I found out about our kind of people. I stumbled on a book called Our Kind of People by Lawrence Otis Graham, who let me know that there were various levels of successful people. You had middle class people who had a nice Mercedes and thought they made it, but if you weren't a part of certain groups, you weren't the right kind of people. If you didn't spend the summers in Sag Harbor and Martha's Vineyard, then you weren't the right of people. If you didn't go to the right botillion, then you were not the right kind of people. And so it was from Lawrence Otis Graham that I learned that for years, hundreds, uh, actually there have been various, kind, 100 years or more, there have been various kinds of uh, people, our kind of people. I'm a country boy, y'all, but then I moved to Washington, D.C., and I found out Lawrence Otis Graham's book was good, but Washington, D.C. taught me something very different about our kind of people. Listen to me. Washington, D.C. has some of the most classiest people you can meet in life. I mean, you know, you got you made it to GS9 and thought you were important, thought you made it, you know, uh, our kind of people. Washington, D.C. has people who are so classes that when you meet them, they shake your hand and they ask you, what do you do to figure out if you are their kind uh, of people? And what's funny to me is the people who do it knew they grew up broke. You, you know uh, that you grew up in a trailer somewhere in the south, but then you moved up here and you got a degree in associates, or you almost finished your associates, and you thought you had it made, and then you look down on other folks who ain't there yet. I kind of. Have y'all ever encountered folks who are just I kind You They ain't never been real. They look down. Oh, I don't eat these kinds of. You grew up eating that. Why are you acting like you funny now? I kind of people. Well, I, I would never go to that neighborhood. Your whole family lives in this neighborhood. You, you used to take a bath with your cousin in that neighborhood. And so folk who know you have to pull your whole car and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't, don't get brand new now. I really know you, not just a Facebook you. And so in D.C. we've got, we've got our kind, our kind of people. Our kind of people, though, can be exclusivists. Because if you are not 
of the status that I perceive or project myself to be. And I can't hang around you because you're not, you're not my kind of people. Many of us remember the famous scene of Forrest Gump. He gets on the bus with kids. He's looking for a seat. And boys in the old country boys look up and say, seats taken. And he goes to another seat. Somebody looks up and says, seats taken. They're saying, Forrest Gump, you're not my kind of people. He keeps going, seats taken. It's an uncomfortable feeling to try to fit in but not be the right kind of people. Yeah. Finally, he gets to Jenny, and Jenny says, you can, you can sit here. My brothers and my sisters, many of us will go through life, and we will experience being excluded from groups that don't consider us the right kind of people. But the challenge is sometimes we can get our own comforts and we begin to exclude other people because they don't look like we look. They don't drive what we drive. They are not from our community. And therefore, we declare that they are not our kind of people. And when it comes to church, church folk are great at doing the our kind of people. You know, we don't dress like that at at this church, that's not our kind. We don't sing like that at this church. That's not our kind of people. And as a result, there are barriers that churches are able to build as we become more country clubs and communities that are able to help hurting people. We become our own exclusive, our kind of people. Our text today challenges the notion of our kind of people as God has to remind us when I found you, you were nothing. I made you who you were. And so therefore, don't start feeling yourself now because you think you have made it. Remember who found you and who turned your life around. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in the book of Acts. Acts, uh, written by by Luke, it's unique because it is uh, the only sequel to the four Gospels written. Acts is really a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. It's it's his part two. Luke shows us how how the Gospel breaks through barriers of culture and race to reach despise Samaritans and Ethiopian officials and Roman centurions and Asian businesswomen and Philippian, uh, Philippian jailers and many others. It shows us how God is not concerned with our kind of people, but God is concerned with all people. And so this text really challenges us. A couple things this text is tailored to teach us for those who are taking notes with a little sermon inserts. Here's point number one. God's divine plan or God's sovereign plan. God's divine or God's sovereign plan. Um, yesterday, uh, Micah, Micah's son, was at work. This is really his first uh, full day at work, y'all. So he was excited about it. He was excited about it because he was supposed to go from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And, and once he finishes training, they say you can stay and work a little bit longer if you want to. And for Micah, this meant more money. And praise God for a child who was entrepreneurial like that. And so Micah, Micah says, I'll, I'll say it. So Micah keeps texting me new times. Now, what Micah did not know, and he's probably going to be upset because I didn't tell him I'm about to say this in the sermon, is that while he worked over, Nathan and I worked out what I had already planned. That was to go see Avengers Endgame. And so while he was, while he was at work, Nathan and I 
we, we spent our time. We had, to, we had to do something with the time. And so we was waiting on him, and we went ahead and, and saw Avengers Endgame. And so we, we had the movie, y'all. And here, here's what happened in Avengers Endgame. Uh, don't worry, I ain't going to mess it up for you. <laughs> Somebody about to walk out of service right now like, you're not going to ruin this for me. I've been waiting forever. I'm going to say So here, here it is. At the end of the movie, the credits started rolling. And those of us who are Marvel fans, you know that at, at the end of a Marvel movie, you don't just get up and leave. You sit for the whole credits. You, I mean, you, for the last little thing because you're expecting something else to come at the end. I can admit no other movie causes me to read the names on the screen. But because Marvel makes you sit there, you begin to see who the set director was and who did transportation and who got napkins. Everybody's name is listed. And, and I began to think about something. When you look at at Marvel, everybody had a part to play in that movie. Stan Lee was the story writer, and because Stan Lee was the story writer, he already knew when the first Avengers came out that there would be an Avengers endgame. Watch this. Uh, Captain America, the first Avenger came out in 2011. And Captain America had a shield in 2011 made out of vibranium. Stay with me. In other words, years before we even knew there was a Wakanda that had vibranium, the story writer knew it. And so years in advance, he could slip vibranium into the storyline because he knew years later, I'm going to show folk where this came from so they would better understand how Captain America got what he got. Stan Lee, the writer, he wrote the story and because he wrote it he knew exactly what was going to happen because he planned what was going to happen the story writer is the one who creates the dialogue for the actors they are the ones who create the storyline and while Stan Lee may have had his Marvel universe in mind he was playing a part a role in someone else's movie here it is God is the sovereign story writer of eternity. There is no limit to God's rule. That's what sovereignty means. This, this is a part that only God can play. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. It's never helpless. He's never frustrated. He's never at a loss. He's already written the full story and all we are doing is playing our role and in Acts chapter number 10 we're able to see the story writers notes in the margins if you will chapter 10 opens up with the man named Cornelius in Caesarea he's not Jewish he's a Gentile Roman citizen but he hangs around the synagogue he believes in the God of the Jews. He even prays like the Jews. But he's not Jewish because, well, they had certain rituals that were required in order for him to be Jewish. You know, they, they try to cut off a little flesh and, and he's like, I ain't, I ain't do it. Listen, I'll come and I'll pray like you pray. I'll believe what you believe. But some of your rituals, I just can't, I can't do that. And so he, he, he hung around, but he wasn't Jewish. 
Cornelius is a soldier. He's a centurion, which means he's not the highest ranking guy, but he's not the lowest ranking either. He's sort of like a non-commissioned officer. He's in charge of about 100 soldiers. He's not Jewish. I, I mean, he believes in the God of the Jews, but he's not Jewish. When the Jews see him, they say, oh, he's a nice guy, but but he's not our kind of people. Yeah, his whole family comes by the synagogue and they sit on the outside and listen because they can't come in. They can't come in because they're not our kind of of people. And one day at about three o'clock, he's at home praying because he can't pray in the synagogue like the other Jews. And while he's praying, the sovereign story writer of eternity gives him a part that he has to play, tells them. Tells him that you got to send men 30 miles to Joppa to get a man named Peter. He's staying at a tanner's house by the sea. Oh, y'all, I love this because God didn't have to try to figure out where Peter would be the next day. It took a day for them to get there. God knew where to send them for what was going to happen Tomorrow, because Peter has to be in position to play the role that God had planned for him. I love it because throughout the Bible, we can see God as the sovereign story writer working out his divine plan. Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. And it may come as a surprise to you, but because I've already written the story, I'm just telling you the role that you're going to play. Uh, Joseph, I know that your brothers are going to hate on you because I gave you a glimpse of your role, but don't worry about it. They got their roles and it might look bad, but their evil will be worked out for my good because I am the sovereign story writer. Come here, Elijah. You're running, but I want you to hide by the the brook and I'm going to do something strange in this story. I'm going to send ravens to feed you and I know where you got to go because I've already planned for them in my story to show up and to feed you. Isaiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew the thoughts I had for you. Why? Because I am the sovereign story writer. I know what's going to happen. This text serves as a reminder to all of us that nothing happens in our lives as a surprise to God. That's why Paul can say all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord. Some of y'all Clapping, but you're still missing your shout cue. I love it because God is sovereign. I know that my steps are ordered by him. Because God is sovereign, I can say that he won't put more on me than I can bear. Because God is sovereign, though the weapons may form against me, they shall not prosper because God is sovereign. He is a sovereign story writer. The devil can't do anything to stop his plans for my life because God is sovereign. My haters can't do anything to stop what God has planned for my life. I love it because God is sovereign. Even my own mess ups can't mess up God's perfect plan for my life. In this text, we see God begin to orchestrate His divine plan by showing up to Cornelius and saying, I need you to send some men to Joppa. You're going to find this this guy called Peter. He's staying 
and a tanner's house by the sea. So when they get to town, they know where to go. Go by the sea, look for a tanner, ask for this guy named Peter. We see God's divine plan. Watch this. Here it is. Second point is God's perp alert. I love it. God's, God's, God's perp alert. Okay. Uh, uh, Ron, Ron, I know you love this. Ron, here, here it is. Ron, you, you can feel this. Here it is. Uh, for those who are non-Greek, uh, let me clue you in on something. There, there is a term called perp alert. Yeah. Uh, and, and most Greek people follow one of these platforms on social media to let them know who is perping their organization. So those who still are a little lost, people who are perps are, are people who perpetrate that they are members of an organization when they really aren't. They are they, they wear the colors, they then pictures they throwing up the symbols, and then when someone challenges them, they are exposed. I really didn't do it. I'm just I'm just perping, and it's by the grace of God that they ain't meet the wrong person who might snatch everything off of them, and so they they they, they are perping. They're they're perping, but well. You ain't really got to be Greek to understand perfect. Here it is. Have you ever seen somebody who have standards for other people that they can't keep for themselves? Yes. You, you know, they can tell every you ought not eat that while they eating fried chicken every day. You can tell me how I got to eat, but you ain't doing it yourself. You, you know, people who look down on your relationship, girl, I can't believe you still with that fool. You ain't had a relationship in four years, but you got to look down on my relationship. You know, people who have standards for others that they cannot keep for themselves. Okay. Uh, did y'all did y'all have the kind of person in school when you were younger who would talk trash about everybody? Like, oh, you so poor, you ain't got no new shoes. Yeah, they, they would talk trash about everybody. They would tell everybody somebody else is poor. Look at that. He ain't never got nothing new. They just rag everybody. They talk trash. And then you get to see their mama pick them up from school. And their mama slide to the passenger side because their mama door won't open on the driver's side. And you realize you've been perfect like you rich and you poor too. People, people okay, here, here. have you ever had a person, hey, had the person who all Always had the nice jewelry, and then they lose it, <laughs> and you notice that their finger is a little green, <laughs> or, or, or they had they had diamonds blinging when we wore the earrings, and then and then their ears started changing colors. They looked down on everybody else. They act like they were wealthy, but you've been faking it the whole time. Have you ever ran into people who were successful perps? They they wore fake. Some, some of y'all social media accounts. Are, no, okay, here it is. Um, here's what happened when God shows up to give Peter his part. Chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. God's teaching Peter how to play his part, and Peter tries to act like the part is beneath him. Watch this. The scene opens up with Peter praying. Then he gets a little hungry, so he stops praying and he yells down to somebody for somebody to fix him some food. Then he goes back to praying. And then I want you to picture it, poof, like a little cloud, you know, the little dream cloud. He has he has this particular vision and it's a vision of something like a sheep coming down and all kinds of animals and reptiles are on the sheep. And what seems to be the voice of God says to Peter, 
Peter gets something to eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, you know I'm holy and I don't eat stuff like that. That's unclean. And as a Jewish holy person, I don't roll. I don't roll like that. The voice comes back again and says, Peter, uh, get something to eat. Peter says, no, you don't understand. I go to church. I'm, I'm a believer. I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't roll like that. that and so I ain't going to do that, God. That God is preparing him. He's trying to coach him in the role. And so Peter is looking at the vision and he's judging it because he don't do stuff like that. I want y'all to see how God is setting a whole stage here. So a third time, the voice comes and says, Peter, get something to eat. Peter says, I don't mess with stuff like that. That's unclean. I'm Jewish. You know we don't do that kind of stuff. That's breaking the rules. And God says, what I have called clean, you can't call unclean. Y'all, that ain't even a shout. Watch how it gets better. Peter finishes this vision. He's perplexed as to why he got this vision. But he's in position so that while he's getting up and getting ready to go downstairs to eat, some folks show up looking for him. And it's these Gentile people say, Cornelius, uh, this Gentile centurion is looking for you. And Peter, watch this, he wants you to come to his house. Y'all, this is how God exposes Peter as a person. When you read further down, Peter says, when he gets to the guy's house, y'all know it's unlawful for a Jewish person to come into the house of a Gentile person. Y'all know y'all are not our kind of people. Yeah. Here's how God exposed Peter as a person. Here's how God really gets under all of us. God sends them to Joppa and says, Peter is staying at a tanner's house. <laughs> God sends them to Joppa and says, Peter is staying at a tanner's house. God shows Peter a vision. Peter says, God, I don't roll like that. That's unclean. I don't do unclean stuff. God has to say, Peter, where you at right now? I'm at a tanner's house. Okay, y'all don't know Greek history, let me, uh, Jewish history. Let me help you understand this. Tanners and tanneries are unclean. Since chapter 9, Peter has been saying, at the tanner's house. Peter, you ain't go visit him. You stay in there and you're looking down on something else, calling it unclean when you're living in an unclean situation. Come here, my brothers and my sisters. Sometimes God has to expose us because you look down on somebody else for their sins and God says, hold up, baby. Let me pull back the curtain so you can see where you are. You ain't perfect either. God has to expose Peter, Jewish people, tanners were sinners. Tanners were the people who worked with the leather, with, with the animal skin and, and turned it into leather. And because of the unclean smell, they were often pushed on the outskirts of society. And every now and then, my brothers and my sisters, God would want us to do something or talk to somebody. And we in our minds say, God, that's not our kind of people. Yeah. Because they're not our kind of people. People, I'll associate with him. 
God has to remind you, you ain't got no kind of people. Yes. Because you are tore up from the floor just like they are tore up from the floor. And so you got to stop judging people who don't fit your toe-upness because their raggedness looks a little different from yours. God yes. has to expose the perping situation. I'm done. I'm out of your way. Peter gets to the house of Cornelius and Peter says, Y'all know I ain't supposed to be here, but God has exposed me. So not only do we see God's divine plan because God is sovereign, not only do we see God can expose us when we're trying to fake like we got ourselves all together, but then we see God's impartiality. God's impartiality. I love it because it shows us that God doesn't judge people like we judge people. God, okay, God, God sent a prophet to go anoint the new king. God, God sent Samuel. Samuel walks through this field. He walks past a little boy, and he says to the little boy, little boy, while you're out here watching the sheep, I'm looking for this guy named Jesse. Little boy gives him directions to Jesse's house. Samuel gets to Jesse's house, and Samuel says, Jesse, God is about to do something different. God is about to turn your family from rags to riches. I need to see your children because one of your children is going to be the next king. Jesse calls in his children and they all prepare themselves to come before the prophet. They all put on their nice clothes. You know, they, they look the part. You know, the oldest son had been a military soldier, so he looked like a strapping leader. And they all paraded themselves before, before Samuel. And when Samuel saw the first one, Samuel says, oh, my eyes. Oh, yeah, you, you, you look like our kind of people. You, you look like a good king. And God says, Samuel, hold up. You are judging on the outside, but I'm judging on the inside. And I want you to understand, my partiality is not like people's partiality. People will judge you on what you are now, and they don't see what God is getting ready to do in your life. I love it because Peter says in verse number 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly now I understand that God shows no partiality. Everybody that's willing to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior is a part of the family. God is not partial. He treats all of us equal. What at times seems to be difficult for other people to understand, God says, you look at them right now, but the same way I love you in your mess, it's the same way I love them in their mess. And the same way you mess up and I don't throw you away, it's the same way they They'll mess up and I won't throw them away. Here it is. I'm done. I'm out of y'all way. I love it because this text shows me that God is not partial, that all of us can admit that we are far from perfect and God loves us anyway. I love it. I get glad about it because God doesn't judge me like people judge me. I'm so glad that God did not just see what I was. God could see what I could be. I'm glad that he looked beyond my faults and he saw all of my needs. I'm glad that when justice said he should go to hell, mercy said, no, he's worth saving. And I want to know this morning, is there anybody in Uplift that's glad that God is impartial, that, that God is no respecter of persons? Is there anybody here that's glad that he doesn't 
treat you like other people treat you. Is there anybody here that's glad that he loved you when you were wrong, that he loves you when you were right, that he loves you when you don't feel like loving yourself? Is there anybody here that's glad that he loves you in spite of your mess ups, in spite of your faults and your failures? Is there anybody whose testimony is like my testimony? He saw the best in me when everybody else around me could only see the worst in me. I thank God. God didn't look at me and say, he's not our kind of people. But God looks at me and he says, oh, no. Even in spite of the mess that's on him, he's still created in my image and likeness. Oh, he messes up every now and then, but he's still created in my image and likeness. I'm, I'm so glad that God can see me with all of my filth, but God has a way of looking at me that says, I, I see beyond that. I, I see where you are right now, but that's fine. I, I wrote that into your script <laughs> so, so, so that when I, when I elevate you, when I... When I bring you into your good place, when, when I open doors for you, knowing where you've come from, others can look at your story and declare God has to be working in his life. God has to be working in her life. My brothers and my sisters, listen, the truth of the matter is the church is filled with people who are not perfect. But our problem is we often project ourselves as perfect. Yeah. And when somebody else's mess up is exposed, we drag them through the mud 